one of my favorite things about summertime is literally how many people are gone, and then and then they come back, and you realize how awesome this church actually is. <laughs> so you know, you need a little absence makes the heart grow fonder kind of thing. Well, good morning, good morning. We are taking a break from the Gospel of Mark, uh, and yet somehow I'm still going to work in some Mark into the sermon about marriage. We'll see how that goes. So, one, one quick thing. I just wanted to explain to us why. Why are we stopping this, this series on Mark and taking five weeks and talking about family matters, family issues? Well, one of the reasons is that when it comes to certain subjects, specifically marriage, um, as someone who's been doing counseling now for six years, is that typically when people come to me and they want marriage counseling, it's generally too late. I'll just be honest. This is one of this is this is going to be. I'm going to bring you all down, and then I'm going to build you back up. Again. What I have found, even in my limited experience, is the shock. This is shocking, and it's shocking every time. Typically, when people come and they're like, "Okay, let's do marriage counseling," they're really just looking for me to validate them in getting a divorce, and that happens and happens and happens. Rarely do people come and they are in real trouble and they don't know what to do, and they're humble enough to say, "Please help me." Now, now, there's a couple of things about this. First off, I've only been married 13 years, uh, and most of you know me. I'm not exactly a bastion of wisdom. Generally, I like marriage counseling because it reminds me of all the things I'm not doing myself. And for a time, I'm a much better husband. <laughs> you know, it's, it's always funny. My wife winks and says, does anybody need some marriage counseling? <laughs> The, the purpose of a series like this is because we, you know, we come here and, and we preach the gospel and we, and we talk about Jesus. And, but at, at times you have to get into the nitty gritty and how this stuff applies, not just in broad, right? You guys have been here. The sermons are generally very broadly applied to our lives. This is very specific and, and it has to be. We have to be people who are humble enough to know, those of us who are married, that we do not know what we are doing. Um, I do not know what I am doing. I meet husbands all the time who don't know what they're doing. <laughs> right? And then, sorry, I'm a, this is an equal opportunist sermon. I meet tons of wives who don't know what they're doing. We have to have sermons like this because you guys need to take a long look in the mirror. And what I need you to do is, is, is repent, turn to Christ, right? admit, and be humble enough to, to know that you don't know what you're doing. Now, there's lots of ways to fix that. There's books you can read. There are, you, know, you and your spouse can spend more time together talking about these things. And, and again, this is like an infomercial, you can actually, there is nothing wrong with getting marriage counseling. People are, like, are so prideful about this, as if, if we're to go to marriage counseling, that's going to be the end. No, generally when you get marriage counseling, you get you know, a couple more decades out of the, out of the marriage, in my experience. <laughs> It's quite the opposite of what people think. So we're starting this one with the foundational doctrine. Everything I'm going to say after this about family, uh, next week it's how to declutter your marriage because uh, most of our houses are stuffed. We're like those people who cling on to things, who can never get rid of things. So next week we're going to be talking about decluttering your marriage. Then we're going to be talking about father hunger, militant motherhood, and raising little ones. But... The thing that we have to understand in our minds before we talk about any of that is the meaning of marriage. What is it? What is it? I mean, we, we live in a society now. I'll just... This is one of those frank times. Okay? Gary and Joe can't be married. I don't... I, don't, I just... They call it marriage. It just isn't marriage. It's not. Right? Marriage is something. It has a definition. And, and so what we need to do is understand that definition and not so that we can throw rocks... But, but we have to understand the context in which we live and the forces at work against us. This is why it's so important to have sermons like this. We have to look at our spouses. We have to look at ourselves in the mirror. And we have to, to honestly admit we don't know what we're doing and we need help. So this, this is the beginning of that. I love you all and you don't know what you're doing. But hopefully by the end of the sermon, <laughs> you will have some idea of that, how, how much you really don't know. And may the Lord bless you in it. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for marriage. I thank you um, for your son, who is our, the, the church's husband, 
who is the head of this home that we are sitting in now. We thank you, Lord God, that you gave the gift of marriage to us. Uh, it is a great burden and it is a great joy. And I pray, God, that as, um, uh, as we go from here, as we've opened your word, as, as you teach us and instruct us from your word, that we would go into our lives and that we would, we would rejoice in our spouse, that we would repent of our sins, and that we would know your son better. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, the book of Genesis opens with the marriage of Adam and Eve. The Bible closes with a double wedding. There is a double wedding at the end of the book of Revelation, and it is the wedding of heaven and earth, and Jesus and his bride, the church. So the Lord God opens the scriptures with a, with a wedding, and he closes <laughs> the scriptures with a double wedding. Now, I don't know, but, I don't know, but that seems like it maybe is important. Right? Marriage might actually be pretty important. Marriage as it is an institution established by God as the bedrock of human society. God made man, and he said, go and fill the earth. Well, you, you're, there's only one way to do that. Right? There's good, it's going to take a man and a woman, and the only legitimate way for a man and a woman to bear fruit together is in marriage. So not only is marriage the beginning and the end of the biblical story, it's, the, it's how we get to the end of the biblical story. Marriage is the means. There, there's a lot of debates about what is the fundamental institution. Um, the church is, but, but even, even there, that's a trick. The, marriage is still the bedrock institution because Jesus and his bride, the church, that is a marriage. And then the church itself, sorry, Catholicism, is made up of men and women <laughs> fulfilling their role with one another. So marriage isn't just the beginning and the end. It's the means by which God gets from the beginning to the end. See how excited I am about this? My voice is squeaky. <laughs> now, lots of things influence, influence our marriages. Lots. Some of us, uh, I, I, I hope there's some of us, grew up and saw a marriage that was just unbelievably rock solid. And the example that was set before you when you were a child was just out of this world. But what I do know about that is that that is a blessing, but it's also a bit of a curse because that is the rarest of rare things. And so if you had parents like that, maybe you grew up and you had a marriage and it wasn't nearly as picture perfect looking. And so you struggle all, all, all kinds of ways with issues because of that. Um, this, is, this is interesting because I, I know a young woman who's now getting close to 30 and she's not married and people are like, what's going on here? And does she have daddy issues? And... and it's quite the opposite, generally, of what people think. She has daddy issues, but her daddy is almost too good. He's like too good of a man. <laughs> and it's the one case I know of where actually the girl has a hard time finding anybody who can come close to living up to that standard. Now, is that bad? No. That, that is a particular burden for them. Most of us don't have that burden when it comes to marriage. Right? Now, some of us saw just a nightmare of a thing. Uh, and there, there was divorce. There was separation. There was nastiness right at the center of what, of what should be the foundational relationship that we all grow up around. Some of us saw terrible things, and that influences us. Hollywood, the sex-crazed, self-centered culture it, that we live in is toxic to marriage. The environment in which we live hates marriage, hates it. Hates anything that has to do with marriage. And, and so... This has more influence on us than we can possibly imagine because it comes at us in films, in music. Um, I, the, you know, I love the Lumineers, but he, he there's a song in which one of, the verse, one of the lines in the verse is, God gave me two gifts, birth and a divorce. And, and, I, and I, you know, that's one of those songs where I'm singing and then I stop singing and then I sing again. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, not going to sing that part. But, but think of what, right, and, and so, the Lumineers are a big deal. They are the, pro, this is the prophets of modern culture, people like this. And, and, and they're saying in this song, he's see, speaking from a woman's point of view where the two gifts she received were birth and a divorce. And, and that, that represents culture, right? How many, time, how many movies are there where, where the divorce is this liberating thing <laughs> that happens that, oh, it was bondage and now we're free? I mean, that, that's the way the culture looks at it. And yet here we are trying to love our wives, respect our husbands, raise our children, to, to love the sanctity of marriage in this culture. It, it, is, it is ugly. It's an ugly world in which we're trying to be married. 
The world has turned secular singleness, serial dating, cohabitation, pet parenting, right? It's just like a big, giant marriage heresy. Uh, I'm not kidding. I I was down in downtown in October going to see Steve, and I saw this this lady who had a, a, a baby carrier with a dog in it pushing a stroller with a dog in it, right? And I don't leave the suburbs much anymore. And I, it was literally one of the only times in my life where I was like, it's like, does anyone, that, okay. It's like, welcome to Seattle. Right, and th- th- this is what they've replaced regular marriage with this uh, cohabitation, serial dating, and now pet parenting, right? Don't forget the real kids. You, just, you can now get insurance policies through work for your pets for when they get a cancerous tumor. You can now, you know, they'll actually cover your pet. This is not a joke. I'm not making this up. But marriage means something. Marriage means something. And even as we lay out a vision for what marriage is and ought to be, this is not a sermon in which I want you sitting there loading a gun with ammo to take bitter shots at one another later on. Okay? I've, I've been there for that sermon where you're just, Dean's preaching, I got the shotgun, I'm just loading shells. I'm like, oh yeah, that, oof, sticking that in the gun. Later on, you're just like, look out, everybody. Now, that is not what the series is about, this sermon or the series. I am not now giving you all the reasons to to hate your parents that you've always been looking for. I, I am not giving you now reasons to go home and start an argument with your spouse. Did you hear what he said? That's you. He's talking about you. Uh, if we do that, we failed. <laughs> Your own repentance is the point. Learning gratitude is the point. Learning how to be married well is the point. Okay, the, the, You, I want to talk to you about being married. I don't want to talk to you about your spouse being married. I want to talk to you about being married. This is a mirror and not a window series. This series will be most effective if it increases your own compassion for spouses, parents, siblings, and friends, just as it increases your own expectations for yourself. (laughs) Okay? I'm not now giving you the opportunity to raise the bar on your spouse. Raise the bar on yourself. We'll try that and see what that gets us. Now, I know everyone in this room is not married. Uh, You don't get a day off from church. As I said, (laughs) the Bible begins with marriage and ends with marriage and has marriage in between. Marriage is a big deal. You live in, in a society here where we're trying to fight against the culture. And it's just as important... If you're a person who's seeking to get married to know these things or, or a person who's a settled bachelor, bachelorette to know these things, it's important that you know them so that you know how to pray for the people in this community, that you know what to expect in the future for yourself, that you have a standard. And all of that being said, what is marriage? What is it? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And then God said, let us make man in our image. He said, let's make man in our image. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now you can see all the, (laughs) it's a pronoun soup. He wants to make man in the image of God. And so he makes a community, a man and a woman. We're going to come back to that. We're going to go down to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 23. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. But for Adam there was not a found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, this is the template for every marriage. God did this in the garden. He did it. He put Adam to sleep. He took the rib. 
He formed the woman. He brought the woman back to the man. Every single marriage, whether people recognize the living God or not, is, the, is exactly done in the same way. Universal. Mark chapter 10, verse 8 and 9. See, there we go. I worked Mark back into it. And the two shall become one flesh, Jesus said. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, he's talking about marriage universally. God brought these things together. No one should separate them. So I don't care if the person's a Christian or not. God made, made marriage, and he makes every individual marriage. And so going back and looking at the first marriage is very, very, very important. God joins all married couples, just like Adam and Eve, are united together by God. Now, the only thing in creation that was not pleasing to God was man in his aloneness. He looks at everything else, and God says, very good, very good, very good, very good, very good, not good. It displeased God that man was alone. Now, as this is also very important. As God's representative, Adam is now to name all the other creatures that God made. Now, God started out with the animals to make a helper for him. Now, we've been talking in Mark about how the naming is to control things, to have authority over things. This is why the demons are always trying to use Jesus' name against him. It's why he wants to know their names. Naming thing, things gives you power over them. It demonstrates authority over them. And so Adam has authority over every living thing because God brings them, including the woman, it says, brings to the man to see what he would call them. So God is giving Adam the, the opportunity to speak wisely, to exercise authority. What's interesting is that as all the animals come up, right, there's Adam, he's like, okay, there's a donkey. That's, that looks pretty helpful, actually. Okay, that's a pretty good one. Sees a deer and he looks, okay, that looks pretty tasty. But as time goes on and he names all these animals, he sees plenty that are helpful, but he sees himself that there is not one suited for him. Now, this is very important because unless a man is willing to see what God sees, that being alone is not good, his mind will never turn towards marriage. It's my 20th anniversary from high school coming up this year, and, and the, the number of men I know who are totally okay with being alone. And you see, with men like that, it's a long road to get them to see not only the necessity of the gospel, <laughs> right? Because if you're just fine all by yourself, you're not thinking the way God thinks. God sees a man by himself and says, not good. Most secular men look in the mirror and see themselves as a, alone and say, awesome, Right? Awesome. They, they asked Karl Marx if he had any regrets. This is a true story. He said, yes, I wish I, I hadn't have had a wife and children because then I could have bought more books. That's a quote. Karl Marx, anyone? No. Okay. And, and this is how modern secular men now see it. Right? Without the wife, without the kids, I can get the Porsche. I can get the boat. I can, go, I, can, I can go on exotic vacations, hot balloon in India. As if hot ballooning in India were better than... Anyway, okay. Um, a young man needs to see that there's a problem with him being alone. Now, this is what I like. When you sit down with, with a, a young man who's so excited, his wedding's coming, and, and you start asking him questions, you begin very quickly to reveal what's going on inside of him. Because, you know, is... Was it okay? Was your life okay before you met her? Right? And this is one of those secret ways you start to find out if this, is, this wedding is really going to be a good idea. If he was perfectly content being alone, and mommy is the one who thinks he ought to marry Susie because she's so sweet, right? You start to, get, you start to see a problem. If married men think it's better if they were by themselves, fundamentally there is a problem. Right? If I just didn't have all the, these kids and this wife, I would be just fine. Man needs to see it. This is fundamental. A man needs to see that being alone is bad. Now, the other thing here is that... Oh, yeah, let's go back. Yeah, the other thing here is that all along, separation has been the point, actually. So on the first day, God separates light and dark. Then he separates on day two the, the waters above from below. 
and he sees all this separation. And he says, this is, this is very good. But he sees man separated, and he says, this is not good. Now, this is very strange. All this other separation is good. He likes variety. But see, he's made man to be an image of himself. And so what he does is he causes Adam to fall asleep, and then he separates Adam into two parts, right? He, cre- he creates a separation, and then he brings one half back and says, okay, now be unified. Hmm. Because the, the two parties have to consciously be aware, right? They have to be aware of the oneness that they have. The humans are not like other animals, the, the unity that they are supposed to acquire together, that they have together, is something that actually has to be worked on, right? There's a man and there's a woman. Where are you going to go for lunch? Good luck. Right? What I, <laughs> this is like a, a well-known joke. I've actually never had this problem. But I know for a lot of men, this is like, hey, where do you want to go eat? And it's like, you can't even get together on where to go eat. Man, this is my advice to you. When they ask where you want to eat, you say, oh, I don't know, where do you want to eat? And go to the first place they say. And just, that's it. I don't care if you don't like Indian food, just go. <laughs> I remember I, my, my poor sweet wife, this was before we were married, and, and she owned a home. And, and I went into the home, and, and she had painted the cabinets in the house, this burnt tangerine. And I laughed when I saw it, because it was one of the ugliest colors. <laughs> And I was like, man, this is hideous. And she had been working like all weekend on painting these things, right? Right? Yeah. See, I wasn't, I wasn't even close to getting married then. It still took me another year to come back from that. But this is my point. How often are our are, are married lives full of this kind of stuff? Right? God wants the unity that we have is something we have to work for. It's not something that's just there. He created separation because the coming together now, you have to be like him if you're going to do it. Because the Father and the Son and the Spirit are constantly laying themselves down for one another, glorifying one another, considering one another. And unless you have that active thing going on, you don't have an image of the living God. So fundamentally, a man needs to see that being alone is not good. And the unity that we have is a unity that we have to strive for the way that the living God strives for it within the triune God. Now, what does it mean? (laughs) Now we're going to get into some super PC stuff. God made her a helper. Ladies, you're the helpmate. And there, the modern women are struggling not to roll the eyes. (laughs) But let's talk about what this means for a moment. Let's talk about what this actually means for the man. (laughs) It's not good that he's alone. He needs help. Think about what that actually means about the man. Okay, that that, that should not infuriate you. That should humble him a great deal. Now, let's go and look at this word, how this word is used other places in the Old Testament. um, Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 7. And this he said of Judah, Hear, O Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him to his people. With your hands contend for him and be a help against his adversaries. So here's an example where man cannot function by himself. He needs God's help against the adversaries. This is the same word that is used of Eve. Psalm 20, verse 2, May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. Man cannot function without God's help. Man cannot function without woman's help. Adam was given a job. Go forth and fill this world and and rule it as I would rule it. Malachi 2.15, did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Right? His, he can't do his mission without her. Now, right? this is the accusation of the world. Oh, so, so she's just a little baby factory. <sighs> Have you been to my home? That's why I was like, you should just come and stay over the weekend. Oh, there's, nowhere, there's no room to sleep. Right? This would be the first thing. Okay, well, you can sleep on the floor then. 
Right? Could you imagine all the things that my wife does? The people have no idea what they're talking about. I would almost imagine, I'm going to speak for her now for a moment, is that the day where she had to give birth and then she sat there eating sub- Subway sandwiches right, was not the hardest day of being a mother. We like to think it is. But I wonder how many times late at night when she's tired and she's sick and she's hungry, how many times she wishes it was just, we could just go back to that first day where it could just be painful for a little bit. I could, then they take the baby away and I can sit there and just eat Subway sandwiches. <laughs> it's random. For some reason, she had like Subway sandwiches three times with various children. Do you even like Subway? Anyway. People have no idea. Man cannot do it alone, right? Taking over this world, cultivating this world, is not just about having babies, but at the center of it is having babies, right? And, and, and we're going to go on here. This is what's, I, lo- I love this. I love, I love what's going on here because let's talk about what Adam says when Eve comes. Oh, wait, her name is not Eve, though. Actually, her name doesn't become Eve until chapter 3, verse 20. After the fall, the man called his wife's name Eve. So the name that he gave her when he first met her was actually a different name. Now, if you go over to chapter 2, down in verse 23, it says, this is what Adam says, and she shall be called woman. Now, after God has made her, he brings her to Adam, just like he had brought all the other creatures to Adam. And what he wants is for Adam to demonstrate his authority over her by naming her. And the name that he gives her is Isha. <laughs> Isha. Now, the root word where Adam came up with this is the word for fire. So, this poem is a naming poem. And, and let me translate it in, into modern English for you. Adam looks at this woman that God has made and says, this is hot and this is mine. This is smoking hot like a fire and this is mine. This is bone of my bones. This is, this is like me but better. Like, I thought I was awesome. Whoa. Gentlemen, take note. Okay, this is how you do an anniversary. Some, some naming poetry. Now, okay, love goes much deeper than this. But if you've ever, I've spent time with grooms on wedding days, and this is hot and this is mine pretty much sums up what they're thinking. It goes on to deeper waters later on. But in the beginning, this is what we're talking about. This is like me, but holy moly, whoa, whoa. Now, let's think about modern culture. Modern culture says, hey, you can sleep with whoever or whatever you want, whenever you want, no circumstance, like, doesn't matter, just do it. Responsibility, forget about it. Right? We'll just take all, there's no reason you should give up college, there's no reason you should give up your career, there's no reason that a man should have to spend his hard-earned money on somebody he never intended to have. And so this is the the culture. But let's look at what a, a Christian marriage is. Especially... I love it, all the flowers. All the flowers, there you are on the wedding day. There's the entire community. They've come in, they've sat down, and there amongst all the flowers, like a garden, God takes the woman and gives her to the man, and he gives her a new name (laughs) and says, this is mine. And she says, I am his. And, and what this is is a hedge of protection around her. Nobody can just have at her now without having to come through him. And he isn't now going to just wander off, right? If, <laughs> it's very different than my secular friends. If I were walking down the street and there's a Starbucks and I saw a married guy I know and he's holding somebody else's hand, there's going to be a scene. But I have actually seen a friend who's not married with a woman who wasn't his girlfriend holding hands, and I frankly didn't know what to do. Because I'm like, well, I mean... There's no, there's no boundaries. And this is what the culture wants. They call it slavery. I call it protection for him, for her. Because not only is it protection for both of them as they're promising to have exclusivity with one another, there is a lot of people watching. 
And, and I, I've gotten into people's grills because I was like, hey, I was there when you said this. You said, till death do us part. And you both look fine to me. <laughs> but, 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 but she, but, 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 no, no, I, I was there. And you were like, woo, this is hot and this is mine, till death do us part. And it, right? You don't think she's so hot now. And you, and you were thinking it was better when you were alone. So let's go back and let's talk about that. Right? I, I, so many times people come to me with problems in their marriage. I'm like, I don't, I don't care about any of that. Stop. Stop with all that. Let's go back to the beginning. Was it better when you were alone? Oh, it was. Okay, well, let's open the word of God and let's talk about that. Because all this other stuff that we allow into our marriages are like, oh, there's a speaking dragon that's come into the garden now telling us lies. And you have to go back to the truth. I was alone and it wasn't good. And so God took you and brought you to me and I put my name upon you and we entered into an exclusive relationship in which now all of the things that God wants for us, for all of mankind exists. Now I've got to lay my life down for you and you have to lay your life down for me. And children are going to come from this and we have to provide for them and clothe them and feed them and educate them. And this is what Christian marriage is. It's the community coming together and saying they belong to one another and it's us sanctioning a sexual relationship in which and everything that comes with it, everything that comes with it. The world wants to make it just about that one event, right? Like, oh, you just want to have babies and have her make you sandwiches. It's like, well, she's pretty good at both, but I do want a little bit more from that, from her than that. Because it's the beginning, I grant that. But so much more comes from it. Amen? It's not good that man was alone. And God created her to finish him. Now, gentlemen, it's not, it, you were not good. I, 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 I've known some of you since you were single. It was not good. Okay? If there was any doubt, you can talk to my parents or anyone that's known me for any length of time. I was not better off alone. Right? And I, I have friends who don't get it because they don't get the gospel. They're like, how are you better now? You look tired. <laughs> hey, you look tired. Uh, yeah, well, I was up really late partying. How is that better? How is that better? I was making, I was up late because, <laughs> well, in my house, I was up so late that even my wife by herself couldn't handle it because there's so many of them. So we're both holding puking kids, making sure that nobody has a fever and they're going to die from it. How is that worse than what you were doing? I, and they want us to question ourselves. They want us to question the goodness of it and, and just at, start asking yourself fundamental questions. Was it better when I was by myself? Is this exclusive? Is this a sanctified, sanctioned sexual relationship? And, and we are embracing everything that comes from that. Or is there worldly thinking that snuck in? And you're trying to limit the responsibilities and the selflessness required in order to be in that relationship. It was not good, gentlemen, that you were alone. It wasn't. And so God made an, a, a lady just for you, and she has taken the name that you have given her, and she is yours. And ladies... You're his. You don't belong to anybody else. Submission is not something that women do in general to men. Okay? <laughs> if I started walking around the church telling ladies to make me a sandwich, I hope that you tell me to go to hell. <laughs> right? I don't submit to you. Who are you? Right? The, there is exclusivity here. The protection for her is that she doesn't submit to any man. She submits to a particular man. And there's a community that comes and says yes to that because the, then the community is a safeguard against him abusing that. Because this is what we have in my marriage. It's quite possible I could lose my mind. And she knows who to go talk to when that starts happening. Because I've seen it. I, I've seen it. Well-intentioned men who are suddenly go insane. I don't, sin gets in there and just tangles up 
everything inside their minds. They forget themselves totally. They forget that there's any other authority in their life but themselves, and it's a nightmare. Marriage is about exclusivity and protection. She doesn't just submit to any old Joe Blow in the church. She submits to him, right? Somebody asks them to do something, and she's like, well, I'll check with him. And I, I love, oh, man, my neighbors, when they ask us, ask Anne-Marie to do something, and she, she says she has to check with me first, I think she does it just to bother them. <laughs> I would most likely say yes to whatever it is, but she's like, I'll get back to you. And you're like, bam, how do you like that? And I love that kind of stuff. Because you can see the women, they're like, ah. right? But it's like I said before, they would rather give away all the glory of, of, of having your own home and having your own children and having a man who's your mission. And what they would rather do is go work for Bank of America and have a boss who's a jerk, right? They haven't avoided having a man as a mission. <laughs> they haven't. You can't, right? That's a whole other thing. Show me a business that's right. It's that's run exclusively by women. I, I thought it was so weird when I worked at the court because it's all these women clerks, except for me, and one guy in charge of them all. And I thought, how did you guys all think this was better? How do you think this? I, ha, I right. I got family to feed. There's ways you could get out of this. Why are you here submitting to him? Oh, your wife has six kids. Are you out of your mind? No, you're out of your mind. Right? All right. It wasn't good that he was alone. You needed help. She's the help. Okay? Now, if people understood this, of all the people, right, men, of all the women in all the history of the world, thousands of years, billions of women, God said this one, this one, and they're sitting next to you. Think about that. Think about that. Think about all the troubles you're having in your marriage and, 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 and all the craziness and all the anger and all the separation and all the difficulty. Think about this. Out of anyone that it could have been, I could have been born any time, it could have been any woman, and it's this woman. What does that tell you? Right? It, it's, a, it's a lot harder to just chuck that idea, be like, oh, yeah, no, I'm just not feeling it. They're really annoying. <sighs> yeah, can you, let's talk tailor-made. Right? God knows you. He knows how annoying you are, and he loves you anyway, which is a whole other sermon. But he wanted you, gentlemen, to be worked on in a particular way. Look next to you. There it is. Feel the burn. <laughs> feel it. Oh, yeah, it would be better than I was alone. No, not for anybody. Not for you, not for her, not for society. Okay, I, I can tell you right now, society is better off than I am not by myself. That's so unromantic, Mike. Yeah, I'm with you. But that's love. That's love. God doesn't just care about you. He cares about you and her. He cares about your kids. He cares about your neighbors. He cares about society in general. And if you want to take a wild man and make him respectable, make him safe, give him a woman. Right? Because then you suddenly are like, man, I can't just move on. I got to stay here. I got to work at this. <laughs> this is Doug Wilson says this all the time. It, for men who are just out there running around, it's a lot easier to run the same trick play on a bunch of unexpecting women over and over and over and over again than it is to love one woman and convince her all the time for years and years and years and years and years, if you get what I'm saying. Right? One is actually a lot harder. This is easy. Any schlub could do this. But you go and convince one woman again and again and again and again that this is safe and good and right. That requires the dude to change a lot. A lot. We go to Ephesians now. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. And of course, this is the section that people explain when they explain marriage. And so I'm going to take everything that we've taken up till this point, and now we're going to plug it into Ephesians chapter 5. And, and, and I hope that all kinds of things here just come alive to you. It, it was not good that you were alone. You need to know it. 
You needed help. She's the help. Ladies, that's what you, you are. He has a mission. He is your mission. Okay? You don't have the same mission I have. Your mission is a man. Now we go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 through 32. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. There shall be separation and hold fast to his wife, unity, and the two shall become one. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Before the fall, God created marriage as a picture of Jesus in the church. Think about that. Think about that. From the very beginning, he created marriage. He created a man and a woman coming together, dying to themselves, to have unity together as a picture of the church and Jesus before the fall. Marriage was created before the fall. Now, the oneness of a man and woman is the image of the triune God. It's the image of Jesus and his bride. John chapter 17, verse 20 through 23. I do not ask for those only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, the glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So in the modern church, we talk a lot about missions. We talk a lot about evangelism. We talk a lot about outreach. The primary means of evangelism, the primary means of getting the message of the gospel out is married people. It's married people. Right? Because (laughs) why is your husband, the the lady says to the Christian lady, always so helpful? Why does, right? I I was at your house and, and you burned the fish and he didn't say a word. And my husband would have been like, non, he wouldn't have shut up about the burnt fish. I'm on my third marriage, and you guys have been married for 20 years. What's going on? Right? Marriage is the primary means of proclaiming the gospel in, in the culture. Marriage is about Jesus and the church. It's a profound mystery, but it's true. People think they're married for their own comfort. People think they're married because it's fun, right? Look at, look at her. She's super hot. Everyone thinks I'm super cool when I'm with her. She's thinking, man, this guy makes a ton. This is really what people think. Or that when they're really young, this is hot, this is mine, and they don't really think too much beyond that. But it's so much more than that. Right? We think, oh, this is glorious. I, I really want to do a wedding sermon at one point where I'm telling them it's going to be the worst day of their whole marriage. <laughs> right? This, this, this is, it actually gets better and better from here. You guys think this is great? You think this is great? Come and talk to me in 13 years and you tell me how, what, right, how much better the days then are compared to the beginning. But, I mean, there's the bride in her white dress, and there's her parents, and there's the guy, and he's barely... It actually, it doesn't really matter what I say to the groom. Generally, they don't hear it. But I just don't have... I don't think I have the courage to preach that sermon there. Because it's... I mean, it gets more and more glorious. It's not about this feast and the flowers. I mean, all of that stuff is great. But we're talking about the gospel, right? And, and the gospel does have a feast... But what is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which marriage is an image? It's the road of the, of the cross. It's selflessness. It's dying. It's putting all your faith in God, the Father, because you don't know what you're doing, and you're assailed on every side by enemies. That's marriage, right? And, and as, you, as you die to yourself, and as you look to the Lord, and as you prefer one another and grow in unity and, and, and have this oneness forged through all kinds of trials and tribulations over how to roll the toothpaste. It really is that. Right? Everyone has the... I, we didn't actually argue about the toothpaste or the, or the toilet paper thing. I, I, I would shower and use a towel and put in the dirty clothes. And she's like, you can use that all week. And I'm like, no, it's dirty now. She's like, well, I think you don't understand what a shower is. <laughs> right? And I'm telling you, like, that went on for a lot longer than it should have. And you know what? It's funny now, and we're more unified by it. Like, right? 
that's, a fun, that, that, that's actually a funnier and better story than quite a bit of what happened at the actual wedding. I remember the first time I asked her to iron my blue jeans. I, I'm sorry, it's just, it really is better that I'm not by myself. <laughs> it's called a dryer mic. Anyway, this is what happens. That's how real unity is shaped, by having to die little deaths all the time. Are you dying little deaths all the time? Are you dying little deaths all the time? <laughs> if you're not, you have a problem. Love covers a multitude is a great verse. I love it. Don't misapply it. Okay, what, right? Just say, not saying something when the, the person is sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning and lying and sinning and stealing and sinning and sinning and sinning. Not saying something over a long period of time isn't love. Love does cover a multitude of sins, true. But the point of you two sitting there together at the table is because there is all kinds of things wrong with him that you are supposed to fix. And there's all kinds of things wrong with her that you are supposed to actually fix. And if you're not doing it, you're not engaged in marriage. You're not. You're just roommates. You're just roommates. Right? The point of marriage is to sanctify us. That's what the gospel is all about. Man wasn't, isn't good all by himself. So God comes into the picture to clean him up, to purify him, to sanctify him, to better him. That's, and, and, the, and the crucible way this primarily happens is marriage. Gentlemen, this is your crown of glory, your wife. Proverbs 24, 14. She is your crown of glory. Crowns are made out of gold. Gold is a soft metal. I've talked about this before. right? No, not just your common schlub can work in gold because it dents easy and scratches easy. But can, is, there any, is there any metal more beautiful than gold? Right? In order, right? you have to be self-controlled, you have to be gentle, you have to be kind. Oh, those sound like the fruit of the Spirit. In, in working with gold, you have to have a soft touch. Marriage, husbandry, is like that. You have to have a soft touch. You cannot just be this wild man in a garden all by himself. you got to think of others. I remember Dean used to tell the story, and he told it so much, I'll tell it now. He told this funny story about when they first got married, and his buddy wanted to go play golf. And he didn't, he didn't ask his wife. He didn't ask Antonia. He just went and played golf. And she got, he got home, and there she is, like, sitting on the couch, freaking out. Where were you? Tears in her eyes. I didn't know where you were. And he, and he never thought of him, right, because he's newly married, like, a couple weeks, to tell her where he had gone. And I think I have a similar story like that, where I was like, I, don't, I just wanted to go to the store. I don't know. I didn't realize I had to check with you first. Oh, okay, now we're off to the races. <laughs> right? You, you have to have a soft touch to work with gold. Right? And, and, and this, is, this is where I'm going to end. I, I, never would, I never see a man who has a dented, mashed up, bent crown and think, man, that crown has a lot of problems. <laughs> I think that guy should not be wearing that crown because he looks like a schlub. I think there's ketchup on it. How do you get ketchup on a crown? Well, because you're not washing your hands. You don't have a soft touch. Why, why, why? You have a jewel missing. And this happens again. This is another thing. Hey, man, my wife is having this problem and this problem and this problem. Could you meet with her? No, actually, I don't have any time to meet with her, but you and I are going to be meeting three times a week. <laughs> we'll start right now. I, and I, so many issues come into my door, and it's married couples, and it's, and it's this. right? A similar one... <laughs> A lady comes in and she's like, listen, I really need marriage counseling, me and my husband. And you're like, okay, what happened? And she gets out a binder. You know, she's like. And you're like, okay, well, um, yeah, I'm just going to meet with you for a few times. Gentlemen, she is your crown of glory. And so you have to have a soft touch. This is what we're talking about. The spirit of God, you realize you don't. So you go to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, what am I supposed to do? How am I Give me a softer touch. And then when you're working in gold, it becomes more beautiful. Right? It says that Jesus is sanctifying his bride, through sanctifying her to present her before his father, the God the Father. 
You are working on this gold over years, over years, over years to present a crown at the feet of Jesus Christ. That's your glory. Your truck isn't your glory. Your fish, the, the giant fish you caught is not your glory. Your job is not your glory. Your bank account is not your glory. Your wife is your glory. The number of kids you have is not your glory. It's not. Ladies, you're a crown of glory. What is shaping you? Is he shaping you? Is, are his, is his hands the thing that's turning you into a beautiful crown? Or are there forces outside of your own marriage that are doing that work? Okay, you weren't made to help anyone. You're made for him. You're his crown. He shapes and molds you. If he's not, there's a problem. Gentlemen, if you're not shaping them, there's a problem. Right? And, and this is now... God wants you to have a crown. Think about that. You're co-heirs over he the heavens and the earth for eternity. And the crown that you're wearing is the crown of your spouse, gentlemen. And he wants you there, and he wants you to have a crown. Are you engaged in that? right? Or is she just there to make sandwiches and fetch the slippers? And don't talk too loud, the baseball game's on. Don't wait any longer. Don't wait any longer. Was it better that you were alone? Was it? Why is that person sitting there? Is, that, is this an exclusive relationship? Is she becoming more beautiful? Are you becoming more gentle? These are the questions we have to ask one another. And when, and when we get the hard truth, we go to the Lord Jesus Christ. We say, listen, I, I need to be like you. He submitted to the Father. Women need to be more like him. He was the perfect husband. Husbands need to be more like him. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 and read it, husbands and wives, and both of you, in the same passage, learn exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Right? You want a crown? Do you want a crown, gentlemen? Ladies, do you want to be a crown? Before the crown is the cross. That is the meaning of marriage. Father, we thank you for this, your day, in which we come and hear your word. We thank you for your son, who is the perfect husband. We thank you, Lord God, for sanctifying us. We thank you for the gift of marriage and the comfort of marriage and the hard work of marriage and the fruit of marriage. And I pray, God, that as everyone would go from here today, that they would be more grateful for their spouse, that they would serve their spouse, that they would reflect on their own lives that they would repent of the sins that they need to repent of, Lord God, and that you would restore the joy of their salvation and the joy of their marriage. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.